0: Are you ready to manage your work and personal world better to live a fulfilling, productive life? Then you've come to the right place. Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity. Here are your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud with Francis Wade and Art Gelwix.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things personal productivity. I'm Ray Sidney Smith.
2: I'm Augusto Pinaud. I'm Francis Wade.
1: And I'm Mark Elwix. And welcome, gentlemen, and welcome to our listeners today for this episode. What we are going to be doing is our second Appapalooza. And what that means is that we are going to have three rounds. And in those three rounds, each of us is going to pick a tool and explicate why the tool is awesome how we use it all of those good things why you might want to use it and so let's get right into it let's start round one ding 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 and uh, let's start with you augusto what is your first app and why do you use it
3: the first app that i will talk today is an application called firefox focus you know in the world of browsers and not exactly a a lack of browsers these days. Firefox Focus is a recent player in the game that bring you, put you automatically on privacy mode. That is cool. But second, doesn't allow you to open tabs or anything. Basically, you have a window to work for. So there are moments that my level of attention is not the best and that I'm distracted and that I'm aware that I'm distracted so on those times it is really really useful for me to work on firefox because allow me to stay on that browser allow me don't allow me to have the 27 tabs at the end of the conversation i am forced to basically figure it out how i'm going to do on one Plus, add the privacy and other aspects that is really, really cool. So um, it works well on the iOS. So it is something that I tend to give you know, a lot of use. to be honest with you.
1: And it's available on iOS and Android.
3: All right. So if Augusta is going to
1: go down the Firefox
0: path, I'm going to go down the Microsoft Edge path. Uh, Edge is their... <laughs> Unfortunately, it has a bad reputation from older versions, but they've rebuilt Edge using the Chromium Engine. So it's basically Chrome with a Microsoft skin. Um, I have found that on mobile and on the desktop, I like it as much as Chrome, if not a little bit more at times. It's fast. It supports extensions. uh, It will sync between mobile and desktop. And as a Browser alternative to our classic Chrome solution, I think it's something that's a very viable use. If you look at some of the capabilities, there's a nice pop up function at the bottom of the browser on mobile that gives you access to all of the different controls and features that you would normally have to dig through Chrome to get to. So that's my recommendation. If you want to look at an alternative browser and you're you know, trying things like Firefox and Brave, throw Edge into the mix, too, and give it a good try. I think you might be surprised at how much you like it.
1: Yeah, it's like they took all of the Google guts out of the Chromium project that goes into Google Chrome, and they put in all of the Microsoft guts. <laughs> and I, I think that's actually really helpful for people who are in a Microsoft ecosystem. Uh, you know, you're still using a Chromium-based browser. You've got all the extensions available to you you've got a lot of really um embedded uh, microsoft uh you know components and i think it'll only get better and it now of course reduces the number of browsers major browsers in the market because you know chrome and edge and all of the derivatives are basically chromium and then you have the mozilla firefox which produces the focus browser that, that Augusto was talking about but also Firefox general and a couple other different Firefox installations um, implementations. So we are having a, a kind of major reduction in the market uh, where you have Google Chrome, Firefox, and and Safari uh, being the, really the only three major browsers if you want to think about it in, in the largest sense. Um, so, there has been a bit of a consolidation in the market, but very interesting to watch.
0: Some people get worked up about that. And I always flip them around to it's literally like car platforms. You go and you look at the you know, major car platforms, and you wind up with three different models from three different you know, sub brands, all built on the same chassis. Well, that's exactly what this is. As a developer, if there's a common chassis between these browsers, it's much easier for me to actually build content. And build materials because I know they're all going to interpret it the same way. As an end user, I can choose the browser that has the look and feel that I want and the functionality and know it's going to render everything the same way. So I don't think it's a bad thing. I think this is one of the areas where that lower level of standardization is much more useful than what you lose in having, you know, not having 18 different things to pick
3: from. It is really also really interesting to think that Microsoft went that route and and built it on top of Chromium, too, especially after all the issues that for many, many years they had with Internet Explorer. Uh, I I don't know how marketing-wise Edge was a good call, but um, keeping the same scheme of colors and all that, it brings... As art was mentioned at the beginning, the impression that eh, is this just a change of a scheme, or it is really something that they have done, you know, on the background. And and I have seen even for people who supposed to understand the technicalities behind the idea of eh, I don't know this is still, you know, it still looks it still look like the same Microsoft Internet Explorer, even that is not so. Um, but that said, it is it is interesting for me how Microsoft went went the way of put the Chromium engine in in the back instead of try to recreate something. All right, let's let's
1: move right along to uh, Francis. Francis, what's your first round choice?
2: I've gone a lot into what 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 now has a name. It's called um, rapid rapid game prototyping for learning, something like that but the idea is that you 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 very quickly put together games for learning and the the instead of trying to put together something like a new world of warcraft it's, you know a massive undertaking that takes several years instead you spend a few hours um and it could be as simple as a quiz or or involve a software like twine so that's the, the app i'm talking about is twine and it allows you to develop branch scenarios in zero time. And it used to be a nice development tool because you could develop in Twine and then move on to other programs to to use the, uh, I guess, the, the branch logic. So you could develop the uh, develop the story or the storyline in Twine and then go to a different software and then actually develop the final product. That was the workflow up to a couple of years ago where they changed Twine so that it actually has a, an output of its own which is great. You don't have to now jump to a whole nother software. And it allows you to to very, very quickly, not quite as fast as writing prose, you know, which like writing a story or a a novel, that's not quite as fast as that because when you're coming up with a branch story, you, you need to account for different endings and you need to keep several threads going all at the same time. Uh, But Twine does a a remarkable job of allowing you to do that very, very quickly. I don't think there's anything else on the market like it. It's free, it's open source, and it just does an awesome job.
1: Fantastic. It's one of those that I have played with, uh, and I, I find it to be very interesting to see how you can create these very interesting... For example, I could see this in creating a natural planning model tool for yourself in the gtd world and walking yourself through the process of of the natural planning model by setting up the questions and navigating through different branches based on the answers to those questions so you could do something to that extent if you're not necessarily writing stories or other kinds of learning tools. So very, very cool tool. All right. Thank you, Francis. Uh, my first round choice is actually a physical productivity product. It's called the Rocketbook Everlast notebook. And I, uh, many of you maybe know the Rocketbook company from their Rocketbook wave notebooks, which were the, uh, reusable notebooks where you wrote in the pages and then you were able to, uh, you know, scan the pages and then microwave the notebook and it would get rid of the pages. Uh, For those of you who are not aware, Everlast is now the line of notebooks that allow you to write on them with friction pens, the gel pens, and it's erasable so you can write on the page and erase and so on and so forth. The real game changer for me with the Everlast notebooks and why I continue to use it is that I like the ability to write on paper during meetings with clients where Perhaps taking notes on an iPad or a tablet, sitting in a meeting is a little bit uncomfortable still for me. Or just you can't bring technology into certain uh, government buildings or other types of closed environments. And the ability for you to be able to take notes on paper, and you can actually code the name of documents. So at the top of the page, you you put basically two hash, uh, you know, hash signs, pounds, number signs, and then the name of a document. And then you put two at the end, and that tells the RocketBook app on your phone uh, it OCRs just that line, so that you're able to uh, turn it into typable text, and it actually makes it part of the uh, name of the document if you want it to. Well, what I do is you can you have icons. I think you have six icons at the bottom of the page, and you're able to direct those. I'm, I'm looking right now to see how many how many icons are on each page. Uh, But each of the icons directs to a particular application. So seven icons. So I, I stand corrected. There are seven icons. So you can direct each page to a different icon or a different place. That can be a service like Evernote, OneNote, Dropbox, or otherwise, Google Drive, you name it. And then uh, the other option is that you can send it to an email. So I have one dedicated to a group email address so that whenever we have that meeting, all I need to do is check that icon and then scan it with the Rocketbook Everlast app and it, or the Rocketbook app, and it just shoots off to those folks. But it goes beyond that because the little OCR title of the document, I have that connected to a Zapier script, which you could also do an IFT, uh, but it looks for a keyword And when it sees that keyword in the title of the document, it will then put the note in the appropriate notebook. So it'll file the note in the the appropriate notebook because I don't use auto filing in Evernote. I like to manually move each of my notes for processing and clarifying purposes. And then it moves that note and then does a few other little fun extra things to that note. But it's all based on the name of the note and writing the name of the note into the the first line of the everlast uh, notebook pages so very very powerful automation functionality where it starts in paper but now is triggering a whole series of actions for follow-up and other kinds of things in my other systems because i've been able to code it with this little bit of uh, verbiage in the title of the document so definitely worth checking out and and by the way i've got i've got links in the show notes to all of these apps that we're talking about here. So don't worry about it. Just jump over to the show notes and you'll be able to see links to all of those. All right, fantastic round one, ding, 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 round two. <laughs> Augusto, uh, you're up next. What's your round two choice?
3: So my right, round two choice is an application for the iPad and also the iPhone called Good Notes. And GoodNotes has been my go-to application for handwriting. It allows you to import a ridiculous amount of file formats into it, and then allows you to use handwriting pen, add images, so you can really create the the notebook of my dream the digital notebook of my dream uh, or many of them as I have you know that that has allowed me to have really many versions of those um, documents or those notebooks I you know, I have tried for many years you know when you were talking about the the rocket book I was listening and and laughing and saying, I never tried that one. (laughs) And I have tried so many of them trying to find that perfect notebook. And the the closest that I have come is this product that allows me to even, uh, there are certain notebooks that I have custom paper. So I have just scanned the paper or create the paper, scan it and create the notebook. Based it on that. Uh, it also allows you to email synchronize. In my case, who had, you know, the multiple iPads, it I can make changes in one place and will synchronize to the other iPad. That it makes it really, really powerful. Uh, if you are using an iPad and the Apple Pencil in any capacity, that's an application that you must try.
1: Fantastic. Yes. I'm a, I'm a convert to, to GoodNotes five. And uh, when I when I got my most recent uh, iPad, I, I thought, well, what should I use? And I asked Augusto as the as the iPad expert and I said, Okay, what should I use? And and I was looking between GoodNotes five and notability, and I, you know, downloaded and installed both of them and and I, I really like the functions that GoodNotes gives you and just the that with the Apple pencil has been really a game changer in being able to take digital notes. Very, very cool tool. Great choice, Augusto. All right. Next up, Art, what's your round two choice?
0: All right. For round two, this is the, the go-to application I use for all things to be protected. <clears throat> and that's LastPass. Uh, LastPass is known as a password manager. Uh, it uses extensions that you can plug into your browser to autofill your passwords. The more important part is that all of their information is encrypted so that they don't have access to it, only you do. And you can keep not only your passwords and your accounts, but you can keep secured notes in the encrypted storage as well. So you can park pretty much whatever you want to protect out in LastPass and then have access to it from browser, from mobile, wherever you need it there are certain aspects I like about LastPass more than I do anything else. One is the ability to have what I affectionately refer to as their emergency access request. Long story short, I have mine set up in a way so that if something were to happen to me, my wife would be able to actually request access to my LastPass account. And if I didn't say that she could not electronically within a certain number of days, she would automatically receive that access. That way she she doesn't get locked out of the information that she needs uh, should something happen to me. The other thing is, it has family accounts. So, as you start to look at keeping uh, information across your family, uh, starting to teach good information security habits to family members, this is an excellent way to do it. Uh, LastPass, plain and simple, in my book, it is almost a required thing. And if not just LastPass, though, I mean, that's where I'm, I'm going to advocate any password manager that is high, that is encrypted and protected, uh, you should be using a password manager. It's better than garbage password processes.
1: And I have put a list of the typical password managers that I recommend to everybody, uh, which include 1Password, Dashlane, Bitwarden, and pass those four along with LastPass. I happen to be a LastPass user also, so uh, you know I'm, I definitely advocate LastPass and its capabilities. Uh, but there are those kind of six out there that I tend to recommend to most people and end up working really well for everybody. So. Great choice, always a fan of upping our cybersecurity because you can't be productive if you're being hacked. Uh, <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a huge time suck when you, have been, um, when you have been infiltrated in some way, shape or form and your systems aren't running at an optimal in an optimal state because you have to deal with all of that stuff. There's just too much time cost in uh, being hacked. So protect yourself from it. And being locked out of things, which is just no fun. All right. Francis, what's your round two choice?
2: My round two choice is Opus Creator. So I mentioned before that the old workflow when coming up with these learning games was to design Twine and then use another piece of software like Articulate or uh, I think Adobe has. Adobe is Articulate. But anyway, one of the more expensive softwares um, and they cost several hundred dollars. They're really meant for for large companies based on the pricing that I see. I think they're, they're really enterprise-wide kind of um, economic models pricing. But anyway along comes Opus Creator which is way less expensive. It's, uh, it's I, I forget the exact price but it's less than $100 for a lifetime license and it does 80% of what you would need to create one of these learning games and it gives you all of the graphics. So Twine isn't at the point, and it probably will never get to the point where it allows you to do moving graphics and um, screens that look really pretty. And it's really it's really the, the, a design tool with an output function that's just adequate. But Opus Creator allows you to do all of the audio, video. Again, it, it's, it's all about creating games that use branch learning and it does it in a smooth way that the the super expensive packages, it's basically the same thing. If you're just trying to do something very quick, and again, the, the trend is towards getting something out to the learners very quickly and not spending six months in a huge development uh, cycle involving lots of programming, uh, it doesn't allow for a lot of managing of variables. It doesn't allow for a lot of, of deep programming. You you don't have access to much of the back end, but it gets the job done. Just, it's, it's kind of like Twine is the fastest when you don't really care about the output being used by uh, a user who's going to pay you money for it. Opus Creator is what you use when you're on the hook for producing something that looks graphically pleasing to the eye. Um, and, um, Something that would look like professional to the point where, unfortunately, that does take time. So somewhere between the two of them is the perfect mix between uh, uh, speed and graphical user pleasantry. Let's call
1: it that. Well, that sounds really interesting. That's not one that I've created. I've I've played with, but I will definitely be uh, pulling up Opus Creator to check it out soon. Thank you, Francis. All right my round two choice is an app that I've been using for years and years and years and it's called Pushbullet and Pushbullet allows you to be able to do a whole host of things that is just really remarkable. Uh, the first that I've used for, for years is the ability to share links between devices and cross-platform. So as any of you who have been listening to Productivity Cast for a while knows, is that I work on many different devices throughout my day, and I'm working with clients in different environments, so I'm seeing different screens all the time. And one way to get those Say I want to share a link from one device to another and then share that to a client. Sometimes I I was browsing on one browser inside of another browser on a different system. And Pushbullet helps to give me access to sending those links to myself. And then to be able to share them to others very very quickly and easily so just the ability to have push bullet on all the devices and in the browser as chrome extensions or add-ons is just such a huge time saver plus it's kind of like a uh, a temporary bookmarking tool for me because it's like oh you know what i was reading this article on this computer but i actually want to read it on this other device Uh, i'll get to that in about 10 minutes but how do I get that over to there? And maybe I don't want to use the same browser. Maybe I don't want to, you know, it's like all of those kinds of things. So I could just send it to push bullet. And then when I get to the new computer, I can now grab that link and open it in whatever browser I want to and get, to get back to work. Uh, the other is that it allowed, this I don't use, but it allows you to be able to uh, synchronize text messages across your system. So you can easily send and receive text messages On your computer whether you're on android i think it's i think it's primarily for android maybe it works with with ios but i'm not sure i don't believe it does i'm gonna say no i'm gonna say it doesn't work with android i'm sorry it works on android it does not work with ios messages because of the apple messages protocol but it's really, really helpful if you do have if you are on Android and you're trying to send text messages from your computer uh, and you have not yet been on the latest platforms which allow you to use Android messages from the uh, web. The Android Messages web version. Uh, if you're not using that, Pushbullet will give you that functionality directly in the little browser extension, which is just fantastic. Uh, you can also synchronize notifications, so you can have your phone's notifications replicate in the browser on your desktop. So that's been really, really great. So if you're getting, you get a WhatsApp message, uh, it will show you that notification directly on Android uh, on your Chrome. Uh, browser extension, Firefox add-on, and on Windows. So it's not available on the Mac in that sense, but it is available on the Mac in the Chrome or the Firefox browsers. And kind of other fun things, you can share files, you can chat with other friends who are using Pushbullet, I think, but I use them primarily for the sending of links back and forth between devices, and it's just been a phenomenal tool for being able to do that over the years. And even as more and more, you know, AirDrop is getting more sophisticated, uh, but they does, that doesn't work with the Microsoft platform, you know, it's just an ability to send those files back and forth between your own devices very quickly and easily and sharing those, that information across uh, the board. So if you are multi-platform, multi-device, really, really great tool. For that, all right. That closes out round two of three. We're gonna come into our final round again. I'm gonna I'm gonna do sound effects, ding, 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 <laughs> for the fun of it. Uh, round three, uh, Augusto, what is our uh, what is your round three choice?
3: You know, the round three choice is a platform called Graphics, and Graphic is a piece of software that allows you to access. Illustrator files, SVG files on the iPad. You know, one of the things, and and I've been uh, iPad only now, uh, I think it's since 2012 or 13. So um, they're not every day. I'm not a graphic designer, but I get, because of what I do on my day to day, I often get these files that used to require me to get into. The Mac or get into a computer to open that it was kind of annoying. That was until graphic graphic allowed me to open these SVG files, even make edits, take lo- take layers, look at layers and everything else, and work in them, even modify them and be able to send them back to design or to the design team if I need to. So they are really really versatile, and then it is really really versatile and allows me to really you know, for modify those those things on the fly and on the go are incredible. I had a couple of designers that I work often and all of them now use the iPad and scratch and and, and you know sketch on the iPad and all that and they have used this thing again, not for the deep big detail but when they are on the go and the client like me call and say hey can you make this modification and they have the ability now to open that file on the ipad make the modification and go
1: fantastic another tool that i have not used but i will probably be installing right after our show um all right art what is your round three choice
0: all right this one's one that has not really gotten a lot of traction yet but i really am starting to like it It's actually tied to a site. It's called privacy.com. And the premise is simple. What you do is you set up an account and tie it to, say, your bank account or your debit card. And any online purchases you make, you can have privacy.com generate a, for example, one time use debit card number that's tied or credit card number, (coughs) excuse me, that's tied to your account. It can then be used for that purchase. And then you can say that card is no longer valid anymore. Your account's still active, but that number can then be discarded. Or, for example, you can go through and say that that number is that number you just generated is tied to a specific merchant, so it can only be used with that merchant. And if somebody, let's say, hacks them, gets that number and tries to use it someplace else, it won't work. Uh, Privacy.com prevents that from occurring. You can go through and turn off that number at any time. Let's say, again, a vendor you're dealing with has a breach. You've used a card there. Fine. Just disconnect it. You can set a cap on per transaction per month uh, for the lifespan of of the card itself. There's a lot of different controls you have. The nice thing is is it acts as an insulating layer between your financial accounts and whoever you're doing transactions with. Since we're in such a subscription-oriented society anymore, and a lot of times that these subscriptions are actually kind of hard to get canceled, uh, by using this type of a process, you can go into security.com, deactivate the card, and then the subscription itself can't bill against you. So even if they make it hard to cancel a subscription, you can say, fine, I'm just going to not pay for that anymore. And it doesn't mess up all of your regular financial records and transactions with your normal accounts i'm probably not doing it justice explaining exactly how it works so you really need to go into privacy.com and look into it dig into it Uh, but i really really recommend that you look into something like this just to add an extra layer of protection to yourself when it comes to online transactions
1: yeah so so just to give some further points on this as of right now the, the personal account is free. So you get 12 cards per month, and you have some, you know, abilities to set spend limits and pause and close cards, as, as Art said. If you go up to the pro level, there's actually a 1% cashback on these. So you get the ability to, to, in essence, make back the $10 per month if you are spending a certain amount every month on those cards. So it may just be worth it to tie to that privacy.com card just for the one percent cashback, because uh, you can you're then layering the one percent cashback from your own card with your bank, if you're getting rewards or other kinds of financial benefits from from your current credit card or, or debit card or PayPal card or whatever it is, plus then you can get the, the 1% cash back from, from privacy.com. So maybe at some point you're spending enough money where it's paying for itself. And at the pro account, you get 36 cards per month. And then I think there's a Teams version as well. So very very cool tool and and one that I I really love because there are those things where I, I want to sign up for a free trial for something but I don't want it to charge uh the card beyond that particular time frame so I can go ahead and m- manage that information and manage that control over those things because uh, I just recently had a circumstance where uh, thanks to privacy.com I didn't get charged for something because I put in a privacy.com virtual card number as opposed to the my real card number. So there's a level of protection there that I really, really like. So thank you, Art. All right. Next up, Francis, what is your third and final Applepalooza second edition choice?
2: This is one of those programs that takes a while to learn to use, but once you've learned to use it, the benefits are awesome. So OBS Studio is a broadcaster software uh, it allows you to do live streaming, uh, capture from your desktop. It's a, I think it's a stripped down version of what television and film producers use. And uh, it, 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 unfortunately, the documentation is, yeah, <laughs> almost non-existent or very hard to find. There's the usual YouTube videos. That's pretty much how you learn to to to, to use it by following other people's good advice. And in the beginning, it, as I said, it's a bit counterintuitive. It, it, I'd not used anything like it before. I was looking for a substitute for Mac, uh, Microsoft Movie Mo- Movie Maker, I think it was called, or Windows Movie Maker, when they deprecated it. And then uh, I, I think they just took it right out of Windows Windows 7 at the time. So in my shopping around, I came, came across OBS Studio and really, really enjoyed it. And I don't use a lot of the functionality, you know. I, I don't. I'm not. I don't create that many videos, um, but or, or do that many live streams. But the ones that I do give give me a, a decent bang for the buck. It's free, open source, and for the time I spent learning to use it, I'm really glad that I did because the the level of output it allows me to create and the things that I can do, um, I. I'm very grateful that I can do them now with a minimum of fuss.
1: Fantastic. OBS Studio is really phenomenal. It's a great tool. It is a little bit complex uh, to kind of get started. But once you do, it gives you a free option for live streaming uh, to platforms like YouTube Live or Instagram Live or Facebook Live and that kind of thing with some really fancy features. So great, great suggestion, Francis. All right. Round three final choice, and it is Trello. So many of you may already know Trello, but if you have not looked at Trello in a long time, Here's what Trello is and what Trello can do. So Trello is a personal Kanban or a Kanban style system where you have boards and on those boards you have lists and then on those lists you have cards and cards are are kind of the individual units within the entire ecosystem of Trello. And you're able to visually organize your projects and potentially tasks for uh, yourself or for a company or an organization. And what I like Trello for is just the ability to do project collaboration. If you're working with other people, you are able to uh, visualize the project and move the different discrete project parts along a timeline uh, in that environment. It is extremely collaboration friendly. It has lots of really great features, but the killer features for me are the two that have most recently been added, which are the uh, to basically all the accounts. So free all the way up, uh, or that is the paid versions all the way to the free. Uh, Now you have Butler built into the platform across the ecosystem. Butler is the automation tool. It's like Ift or Zapier for Trello. And so now you're able to automate Almost anything inside the Trello environment, meaning that you can add text, change cards, add particular items, move cards, all based on the various triggers that are happening. And the, the triggers are really fine grained. They're very granular. So you can actually manifest a very automated environment for yourself. For example, you could potentially set up a weekly review engine that is akin to the weekly review engine inside of OmniFocus 3 all through butler. And I've been manifesting that thought in my head for a while how you could actually do all the functions that Omnifocus does in its weekly review process all inside of Trello. So you can create these very sophisticated automated functions and that's just it's a, just a game changer for a lot of people who want some level of administrative support but you're not going to hire someone to actually do that work. The second is uh, the ability to have both board-based templates and card-based templates so there are some limitations on the board-based templates because that's one that you submit to the template gallery and it's available uh, to everyone publicly so if you want to create your own personal templates you're really just creating a board for yourself and then copying that board duplicating the board but the card templates are a whole different ballgame the card templates are yours privately within your system and you're able to create these card templates and then use those card Card templates throughout the system including with Butler so you can say okay every every Thursday every time this happens I want you to use this template and create this card from this template So you're able to templatize let's call it templatize your various cards that you use quite often maybe you have a particular project in a in a board of many projects and you want to use that same checklist within that card. Over and over again. Now you can do that uh, on the card level as opposed to having to manually duplicate a checklist to another card. Lots of really great functions uh, for the card based template within Trello. So if you have not tried Trello out in a long time, I suggest you do it. So thank you very much, gentlemen, for this episode. And I hope you all really enjoyed this. If you have a question or comment about this cast, one of the tools that we talked about, if you want us to further explain some feature or something like that, feel free to head over to the website. Podcast website is productivitycast.net, productivitycast.net. And then uh, if you want to go to the specific episode number, uh, episode page, just go to the uh, three-digit episode number. So it'll be productivitycast.net forward slash 001, 002, and so on and so forth. Just that episode number will forward you to the episode page for this episode. There at the bottom of the page, feel free to leave a comment or a question, and one of us will be more than happy to respond to you. Uh, There on productivitycast.net, you'll also find the show notes for the episode and links to all of the tools that we discussed and the related links as well. And if we miss something, feel free to let us know in the comments. We'll be happy to add that as well. And also, you can learn how to follow us on your favorite podcast app. So you can learn how to subscribe uh, for free across Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Stitcher and Spotify and Pandora and so on and so forth. Um, If you have another question about personal productivity specifically or generally that's not based on this topic, feel free to head over to productivitycast.net forward slash contact. And there on the page, you can record an audio message for us that we can then play in a future episode if it's appropriate. And or you can write us a message type a message into the message box and send that to us and we'll get that message as well. And we try to respond to everybody's messages if they ask for one. Thanks to Augusto Penaud, Francis Wade, and Art Gelwix for joining me here on this cast. And if you could, please leave a rating or review on iTunes or apple Podcasts now uh, or stitcher or any other platform that allows for reviews not all of them do but the ones that do feel free to do so and thank you for doing so Uh, i just the feedback helps us uh, know how we're doing and it also helps us to grow our personal productivity listening community and so again Thank you. That brings us to the close of this episode of Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things personal productivity. Take care, everybody. Here's to your productive life.
3: That's it
0: for this Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity, with your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Penaud, with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks.